0: I have a muscle disease called myopathy, which is a pretty rare form of muscular dystrophy. And what makes it unique is that it's uh, an adult-onset form of the disease, meaning for most people that have it first twenty, 20, 21 years of their lives, they don't have any symptoms. And then all of a sudden, they start experiencing muscle weakness, and it's a steady progression until people, usually by their 30s, are in a wheelchair. So... Kind of what makes my situation unique is that I was diagnosed before I had symptoms. Whereas most people have the symptoms and then get the diagnosis maybe a year later, I had the fortunate or unfortunate honor, if you will, of getting a kind of a head start because of a car accident I was in my senior year of high school. You know, they do routine blood work, usually in a car accident just to make sure there's no internal injuries. And what came back on the blood test was that I had this very elevated level of something called creatine kinase, or CK, as it's commonly referred to. The levels are usually supposed to be in the hundreds, and mine was in the tens of thousands. So they figured that I had suffered some sort of bad internal injury, and they wanted to do more tests. So that kind of started a diagnostic odyssey for the next year or so. I saw a liver specialist. They ruled out liver disease. I think I saw like a kidney specialist, they rolled out kidney disease. Uh, the next step, really, by process of elimination was to see a neurologist. And they did a muscle biopsy of my thigh. And they were able to determine through the technology they had in 2004 that I had a, uh, an absence of something called dysferlin. And they figured if I didn't have this, then that's probably what's causing the elevated levels that my muscle is breaking down and soon enough, in the future, I would experience symptoms. The amount of information about this disease now is so much more than it was back then. So much more research has been done. But at the time, they thought that it was something that wouldn't happen until I was an adult. But when I was an adult, maybe like 30s, 40s, you know, in the future, and there would most likely be some sort of cure. So that kind of allowed me to not really worry about it at the time. I kind of framed it as, all right, I can't be a distance runner I can't be a bodybuilder but you know I can still have normal muscle function I can still do all the things that a person my age could do in general I'm I'm pretty glad that I didn't know about it cuz it allowed me to kind of be carefree for four more years before kind of I started to realize the implications I got the official diagnosis just before I started college at Northeastern University I remember sitting on the steps during orientation taking a phone call from my doctor telling me kind of this is what to expect. Don't worry about it. Go through college. You'll be fine. Just don't decide to run a marathon one day. And I made it through those four years. I graduated in 2008 and it's as if a light switch turned on just weeks after graduation. The first time I remembered something was off. I was going for a run around my apartment, which is near Fenway Park. And I remember pulling up kind of... Only I lame, almost more tired than I normally was. I knew I was out of shape, but I still figured that, you know, I could at least power through the pain, but my legs just wouldn't let me. It's that feeling you get when you're just completely exhausted and you can't take one more step. I still didn't really fully understand at the time what it meant, but I remember to kind of like mentally check it off in my mind and kind of keep for later to kind of see, you know, is this the start of a pattern? Is this just kind of a one-off thing? Was I just stressed out at work? And then, you know, some coming weeks and months, I exercised fairly regularly and I just saw no, no gains in strength, no gains in endurance. And if anything, I was doing the exact same exercises and I was losing strength. The gears started to turn a little bit in my head that something was not right here. And I remember when I was moving a few months later to a new apartment, I was going up a flight of stairs, I was carrying a desk chair. And I was exhausted by the time I got to the top, and that was kind of the catalyst to at least go see somebody. It was November 2009. I went to see a neurologist in a hospital in Boston. I think he tried to be sympathetic, but the way that he delivered the information was kind of jarring. So you know, is there anything that can help me? He's like, No, not really. Okay, well, is there anything I can do to you know keep the strength I have? He said. You know, you really got to find a fine line between doing too much and too little exercise. But the truth is, you're probably just going to continue to get worse and you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. What he could have done better is I think he could have just explained the nature of the science at the time, even if he could have just been like, there's so many different approaches they're taking and just muscular dystrophy in general. The rate of science is just exponentially you know, producing more and more drug candidates. So I think, I mean, didn't have a crystal ball in 2009, but at least just kind of orienting my mindset to kind of at least be forward-thinking that, you know, there's still a lot of hope on the horizon. I think also enabling me to continue to believe that I could set goals for myself, that I could achieve goals. Because at the time, I was starting to feel like perhaps this was going to just radically alter my life and my entire quality of life is going to go down the drain. And unfortunately, he didn't really do much that day to kind of soften my fears, which caused me to kind of fall into a deep, I won't say depression, but just kind of a deep fog, a dark fog for the next, gosh, two or three years. So from 2009 to 2012, I was watching as my friends were moving in with, you know, their girlfriends and other wives They're buying houses. We're all kind of splitting up and kind of going our separate ways. And here I was just unable to kind of come to grips with the muscle weakness, which at this time was rapidly accelerating. I left that day without feeling any sort of hope. I felt just this kind of deep despair. And then just a few months later, I was walking to the store with my roommate, my knee buckled and. That's when I fell for the first time. And I looked at him, he looked at me, he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think I tripped or something. And that was kind of actually the turning point because now I realized it was something I couldn't hide anymore. I was kind of embarrassed, honestly. To tell somebody you're getting weaker and I didn't fully understand either the the prognosis. I didn't really even know what to say to somebody when I asked because I still didn't know really what to expect. That was all very challenging and You know, it's never easy to tell somebody you're struggling or that you're depressed or that you're, you know, frustrated by the way things are going in life. And prideful person that I am, I just kind of internalize all of that. I think looking on all that I've learned now and just how empowered I feel today, the advice I would give to somebody is just the fact I mean, you have to take it at your own pace, right? You can't force somebody to disclose they're having a tough time with their illness or with life, you can't make somebody open up, but you can tell them kind of the benefits of opening up. The people that you might be afraid to talk to actually will be your biggest advocates, they'll be your biggest support system. If they are really your friends, they will look at you differently, they'd be more than willing to help you, and that's the case I found with my own friends. They always asked if I needed a ride, they would pick me up after I fell, they would carry things for me that were heavy but they can't help you if you're not willing to verbalize and explain to them what you're going through. And then the second part of it is the sooner you meet other people that have this condition or that have some other disease, because again, a lot of people with different diseases have the same emotions and fears and frustrations. As soon as you're willing to open up, you you can finally become part of this much larger community that's there to support you. So it all comes back to support. You can't go through and shoulder your burden alone, even if you feel like you know that's what you were taught to do or that's what you know you want to do. The truth is you have to be willing to kind of communicate when you need help. At the end, it'll be for your own benefit. You know, that really is kind of a way of exercising your independence is to tell people when you need help, because I think then that's when you can really start to build a solid foundation With a disease like this, especially progressive disease, it's just constant change. And to have any kind of foundation, whether it's just a supportive family and friends, is just completely, it's vital to be able to then move forward in life, to be able to dream again, to be able to form goals again. And I think back to what ended up helping me was was exactly that, was just being able to open up. I found the support of friends and family that were there to help me. People were glad I shared what I shared because, you know, people in their own lives or even themselves were struggling with things. They felt like they could trust me because I was willing to kind of open up to them, show my vulnerabilities to them. And that kind of gave them permission to do the same with me. I finally found a neurologist that actually, you know, could empathize with me, who thankfully knew a heck of a lot more about the disease than anybody else I would seen. He actually was one of the people that discovered the disperling gene. Back in the nineteen eighties. And I told him, I, I doubt him, like, I've been thinking about business school for the last few years. I don't know if I can do this because it just so much is going on, so much is changing. And he's like, Look, does it affect your quality of life? Yes. You know. does it well make things a little bit more difficult? Yes. But it's like this isn't an excuse not to pursue your dreams. So if you want to go to business school, go to business school. And then he was able to rattle off examples of people that did just that. You mentioned other people that were successful lawyers and that worked in the business world and you know people that traveled a lot people that had this condition or had similar conditions that just adapted around it they just built the life they wanted and they found a way to do it i like to think that i have a phd in logistics just because this type of disease forces you to think through contingency plans to think through every little piece of your day you know, getting the adaptive equipment you need, coming up with plans in case I fall, or in case I get sick, or if I need help, who do I call? I have logistics constantly on my mind, and it's made me more resourceful, it's made me more analytical, and for somebody that's in the business world, I think that's a great asset to have because you look at a problem and you think of creative ways to solve it. If there are constraints, you find a way around those constraints. You don't take anything for granted. You hold any problem up to the issues I'm going through. A small business problem, there's a solution. And you know that asking for help thing that came in so handy if my disease it comes in handy in class, it comes in handy in the working world. If you don't know an answer to a question, ask someone who's answered it before. Or if you need help with something, ask for support. I'm okay doing that. With a condition like this <laughs> You have to face the music at some point is that you're going to need help to be able to live the life you want to live. Once I realized that, I almost reframed it as just the independent thing to do, the mature thing to do, is to just not resist it, to just ask for help when I need it, not fighting battles you don't need to fight. Today, I am on the cusp of needing a wheelchair full-time. I can still walk. I can't walk too well. The leg braces I used to have are now starting to weigh me down. They aren't as useful as they used to be. The crutches that I've had for the last four years are not as useful just because I've lost so much upper body strength that if I tumble or something or if I trip, they can't really hold me up anymore. I have a scooter, but I can't get out of it now because I can't get out of chairs. chair. really my process of elimination. The only piece of adaptive equipment left is to get a wheelchair. I'm actually a lot more at peace with that decision now than maybe I used to be. I think, I think now I would kind of see it as a a I means, means of regaining a lot of the independence I've lost. Cause you know I'm kind of homebound now. Right? I'm always going to need people, no, no question. But if I know, know a wheelchair can, can help me to at least move around my immediate surroundings, surroundings or allow me to go to work on my own, own or something, that's a piece of independence and that I'd love, love to get back. back. I've, I've really, really come to embrace sharing my story. Really enjoy connecting with people, different populations, patients, college students healthcare professionals, if by coming across my story, they can learn to be empowered, and I feel like this is all worth it. Having genuine relationships with people can make anything worth it. And I think I'm living proof of that.